Hi, welcome to the Freehoff Institute of Progressive Halakha. I'm Rabbi Mark Wachowski with the 12-minute shiur number 46, Deception, Creating a False Impression, Part 2. We're using a source sheet that you can download at our website. That's www.freehoffinstitute.org slash podcasts. Now, back in our shiur number 44, we began our look at the topic of deceptive speech, and as we see online one of the source sheet, the key term is geneva da'at, which, as we noted then, refers to any speech or conduct that, while not necessarily a lie, is intended to deceive another, to cause them to form a false impression of things. Nowhere do we find a clearer, stronger expression of this isur, this prohibition, than in Rambam's Mishneh Torah. We're on line six, where Rambam introduces the subject in his own words. He writes, It is forbidden to act in a smooth-tongued, seductive manner. One should not speak differently than one believes, but rather the inner self should be as the outer self. Then, in line 8, Rambam quotes directly from the Talmudic Sugya in Tractate Chulin. The Asur Lignov Habriot, line 17, it is forbidden to deceive people. Here he cites the Talmud's examples of this forbidden deceptive conduct. Line 18, one should not entreat one's fellow to dine at one's home when one knows that the other will refuse. One should not offer another many gifts when one knows that the other will refuse them. One should not open for another casks of wine that have already been sold to a dealer to seduce the other into thinking that these casks are being opened in his honor. The same is true in all similar situations. Now the Rambam departs from the Talmud to conclude in his own words, line 12, or line 25, even one word of seduction and deception is forbidden. Rather, one should engage in pure speech with an honest spirit and a heart devoid of all trickery and deceit. All of this, again, is clearly powerfully stated, but let's compare Rambam's halacha to the Talmudic source from which he presumably derives it. That's Hulin 94a, the English text beginning on line 36. A Baraita. Robbie Mayer said, One should not entreat one's fellow to dine at one's home when one knows that the other will refuse, etc. We recognize most of this from Rambam's text, but look at the phrases that are in bold font. One should not open for another casks of wine that have already been sold to a dealer, unless one informs the other of this. Then, line 34, But if one does these things in order to show honor to the other, it is permitted, permitted to do so. In other words, the Talmud certainly does prohibit genevat da'at, deceptive conduct, but it just as certainly allows exceptions to that prohibition. And those exceptions are missing from the halakha as stated by Rambam. Now, Rabbi Yosef Karo, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, was also the author of an important commentary to Rambam, the, the Kesef Mishneh. And in the Kesef Mishneh to Mishneh Torah Hilchot Deot, he writes, and we're on line 49, 
All of this is in Bavli Chulin 94a, where the text states that should one perform these honorific acts for another in order to demonstrate to the world that one likes and thinks highly of that person, it is permissible to do so. That is, Caro puts in what the Rambam leaves out, which leads him to remark, V'tamheni shelo hizkiro rabenu. I wonder why Rambam did not mention this. That is, why he didn't mention the exceptions to the prohibition. Well, we wonder too. It seems to us there are two major problems with what Rambam says here. First, there's the halachic problem, which we've already seen. By omitting the exceptions to the prohibition of Geneva Da'at, Rambam's version of the halacha contradicts the version presented in the Talmud, which is the authoritative source of that halacha. And second, there's the problem of substance. Does Rambam really hold that the prohibition of Geneva Da'at is absolute and that it makes room for no exceptions? Well, if that's what he thinks, then he's playing on the same team as Immanuel Kant, the great 18th century German philosopher who famously asserted that lying is always morally wrong either because it corrupts the human capacity to make free and rational choices or because it violates the categorical imperative that one must treat other human beings as ends rather than as means, and when we lie to someone, we are treating them as a means. Now, all of this sounds terrific, but Kant took this moral prohibition to its logical extreme, declaring that if a potential murderer comes to your door and asks you if you know the whereabouts of the murderer's intended victim, you are morally obligated to tell him the truth, even if by telling him that leads to the victim's death. This conclusion is so awful and repulsive that many Kant scholars make it their business to try to demonstrate that Kant did not literally mean what he says here. Now, be that as it may, and it's certainly not for us to resolve questions of Kantian scholarship, we could ask the same of Rambam. Does he literally mean what he says? Does, does he really think there are no exceptions to the prohibition of deceptive speech and conduct? How would he rule on the case of the murderer at the door? As a halachist, would he not say that the duty of pikuach nefesh to save life overrides any duty of truth that we owe to the murderer or perhaps to the terrorist? What about during a time of war? when deceiving the enemy about our true intentions is a critical element of military strategy and tactics, would he still insist upon the prohibition of Geneva Da'at? We presume that the answer to all of these questions is no, it only makes sense, but Rambam's language here in this text, his portrayal of the, pro of the prohibition as absolute, his omission of the Talmud's exceptions to the rule, these are all real problems that cry out for a solution. Now, we're not saying that we have a solution, let alone that we have the solution, but we might draw some insight from the passage in Hulin 94b, the one that begins on line 56 of the source sheet. Kiha de Malzutra Nachman Hava Ka'azil Mechoza. Marzutra, the son of Rav Nachman, was walking from Sichra to Bey Mechoza, and Rava and Rav Safra were walking to Sichra. They encountered each other along the way. 
Thinking that they had come out from Bemchoza to greet him, he said to them, Why have you gentlemen taken the trouble to come so far? Rav Safra said to him, We didn't know you were coming. If we had known, we would have taken even more trouble and come farther to greet you. Rava said to Rav Safra, Well, why did you say that to him? You upset him. Amar le vaha kamat inan le. Rav Safra responded, Well, had I not told him that, that is, had I not told him the truth, we would, we would have deceived him. To which Rava responds, Ihu ka ihu hu de kamate He is the one who deceives himself. That is, if Marzutra got the wrong impression from our action, it's his fault. The Tosafot comment on this passage, line 77 in the source sheet, explains why. Marzutra ibae leila asoke adate. He should have realized that they were not coming out to greet him, but were traveling for their own purposes. It's telling that Rambam does not mention this passage in the Mishnah Torah, just as he doesn't mention the Talmud's exceptions to the prohibition of Geneva Da'at in Hulin 94a. Maybe we can explain these discrepancies by the fact that his agenda in the Mishnah Torah differs from that of the Talmud. While the Talmud clearly holds that we have a moral duty to avoid deceptive speech and conduct, it presents that duty as an obligation we owe in the real world, the world of human relationships, of recognized accepted customs and social cues. Sometimes these relationships, customs, and cues modify our responsibility to act with perfect honesty and openness. There are times, for example, when it's entirely proper to show honor, respect, or deference to particular individuals, even at the cost of a certain amount of deceptive yet socially approved flattery. Such a display of kavod is considered harmless, indeed, even a good thing, because it can help strengthen the bonds that connect us as a community. And because we live in community with other people, our responsibility to avoid deception is always contingent upon their responsibility to use their sechel, their brains, their capacity for reason and common sense to understand our actions and what we mean by them. In other words, the avoidance of deception is not all on us. Rambam, for his part, is less concerned here with the so-called real world than with the very fact that the avoidance of deception is a moral duty, our duty, no matter what other people do. He speaks of the prohibition as an absolute requirement, not a contingent one. It's a demand for integrity that tolerates no exceptions, because once you admit exceptions to the rule of honesty, it isn't honesty anymore. It becomes dishonesty. And so he intentionally omits the Talmud's exceptions to the prohibition of deception from his portrayal of the halakha, back in lines 6 through 26, that other poskim, like the Shulchan Aruch, and we can see that passage beginning in line 85, that other poskim seek to restore. Rambam, in short, wants to teach the prohibition of Geneva Da'at as a moral value, period, while the Talmud and all the other poskim prefer to describe it 
as it is actually lived in the complicated, nuanced, and messy world of reality. Do these two agendas contradict each other? Maybe, but then again, maybe not. You be the judge. This has been the 12-minute shiur number 46 from the Freehoff Institute of Progressive Halakha. Thanks for learning with us. Lahitra Ot.